And welcome to Gleeman and the Geek, the worst game of the season episode, question mark? Never say that. It can always get worse. That's <laughs> true. I'm John Bonus. I'm Trent Daly. Now with me, Aaron Gleeman of The Athletic. That game started so promising. It is fun. <laughs> Do you think, Thursday. in general, at the end of every season, like when it's still sort of fresh and everyone, like let's say right. uh, November 1st, or October 1st, excuse me, of every right. season, if you would have, if you would pull... 50,000 Twins fans, would the vast majority name the same game as, quote-unquote, the worst game of the season in a given season? I don't know if – I don't think you would get a majority to line up on one game. Right. But I bet you would – I bet – Couple most games. Of, I, I bet, I bet our, the most of people would line up around three games. Yeah. Two or three games. People remember like two or three games. Now, this one I don't think is going to be well-remembered and probably would not – do particularly well in that voting because it was an afternoon game, which a lot of people couldn't watch. Right. And right. also, uh, if Pagan like blows three more, <laughs> it's just all kind of, you know, like, which, like, tell me the most, the worst Cleveland loss last year. Yeah, exactly you can't because right. yeah. they were all in a row. It was, yeah, right. Except right. like I could tell it's you. All of September. I could tell you in 2021, <laughs> the worst loss was the Oakland 13 to 12 game. Okay. That arise right. through the ball away in the whatever inning, right? And they blew nine hundred leads in Colome. I feel like some seasons. Twenty nineteen, it was the one that they lost first place yeah, versus, versus Cleveland. Uh, I would say twenty twenty. I can remember that was the one where they lost to the White Sox the day after the trade deadline. Right. And uh, yeah, yeah, and the and the thirteen to twelve game. Yeah, that was definitely that was twenty twenty one. Had to be. That might have been 2020. No, be. Because it was oh, yeah, yeah, they couldn't play season, Yeah, they couldn't play Oakland. Right. But it was Just, also right. yep. COVID-related yep. because right. players were out for that yeah, trip. You're right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. That would be a, well, they, I was going to say a fun gotta, exercise, gotta, but not fun. It's not the right <laughs> they word. like but. a big lead versus Giolito in 2020. Yeah. And then and the, yeah, and the 2019 was definitely the one where Taylor Rogers blew it on a Sunday afternoon because we ended up uh, doing the show right afterwards. They lost first place. Yeah. After the big comeback, that was like we may have delved too deep into this. My point was <laughs> that uh, it was a bad loss to the to the Dodgers. A couple bad losses to the Dodgers, really. Well, Although I will, so they're now done with the Dodgers, the Yankees, and the Astros. Now those are no longer like the you know consensus three best teams because right, yes, the right. Rays have been phenomenal right. and the Braves have been phenomenal and on and on. But I would say over the last decade, right. those are the three most powerful teams, certainly. Yes. And if you're going to test yourself against three teams, you know, not... Certainly coming to the season, you took a look at right. those teams and said, here's where these right. are our statement And even now, I mean, right. Houston and New York haven't gotten off to the best starts, but they're still, they have better records than the Twins and all that. Uh, the Dodgers are way out in first place and they're on a, right. I think they've won like 10 out of 11 or something. And the Twins now finish the season... First of all, it's nice to just be done with them, <laughs> right? Although, oh like, no, but they still have Houston. They have one more series. Against yes, they have yeah, one more series right. versus Houston. You're right. Never mind. Yep, yep. Uh, but they're seven and six against those three teams, and yeah. you think, okay, that's that's fine. Every other year against those three, Christ. including last year, by oh the my way, God. they're like you know 
two and ten or right. something like yeah, that right. with a r- absurd run differential where they get outscored by 800 runs i sat in on uh, brandon molesky's show filling in for the common man yesterday and uh he, his at, his initial question was what do we take away from the dodgers series yeah. you know from some tough losses and my answer is you know, i think we take away the same thing we took away from the yankees and the astros this isn't an a dominating team the twins aren't a dominating team but they belong right like they belong as one of the the better teams now now, the, this rest, is a, the rest of the year doesn't really necessarily establish that, but they at least at the very least they don't seem to just fold into the fetal position right. versus some of these, you know, more legendary teams. Now that is a stance taken by a team that loses. Uh, you you won't <laughs> well, hear that's, Dodgers that's, fans that's going, right, right. "Well, they hung with them." Uh, <clears throat> right, right. It's. Uh, I mean, you can't get rid of your history with versus those. No, teams, but I right? don't mean you know? losing in the past. I mean they lost two or three. The Dodgers well, they lost true, the last two. But just in general, the idea that they didn't get smoked by three very good, powerful teams right. uh, is is a good thing. Those are, th- I'm guessing, three of the top six or seven payroll teams sure. too. Yeah. And I would certainly bet on all three of those teams being in the playoffs. So it's at least, you know, pro- I like to use this, but proof of concept that this is a team that can compete. Now the flip side to that is you know you should have won game one right you should have really won game, but as you of, can as of inning number two you should have won game three yes you should have won both those games <laughs> right, yeah. you should have won game one now you can blame the umpiring especially in alex kirloff's at bat oh my god and i won't say you're wrong on that it was I, you rarely once in a while you will see an umpire consistently make bad calls like on down and away right. pitches that's right but to have Two two pitches within the span of the same at bat within three pitches. Right, there's only one in between. One uh, out up and out of the strike zone on the left side, and one up and out of the strike zone on the right side, and both get called strikes. And you rarely see that. Right. Uh, well, you also rarely see the Twins announcers criticize an umpire, and they were all over that one. <laughs> it's even more rare that you see the opposing team's right. announcer baffled by the umpire, where they're just like. Boy, did we get a gift there. What the yeah. hell was that? But <laughs> within that, they still could have and should have won that game. Yep. You right. know, that that only affected the Alex Kirloff at bat. There were some other iffy strength calls in that game, and obviously the double that was actually a fall ball right. hurt yes. them. Right. And right. on and on and yeah. on. But they still had a chance to win that game and didn't. And then game three, they absolutely should have won that game. Right. Uh yeah. I think. Yep. Um or at least not lost it in such uh, soul crushing fashion. <laughs> so, so, so predictable a fashion is that yeah. what was particularly soul crushing about it? Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Everyone wants to talk. <laughs> We've about, been waiting for that loss since December, right? And we'll, we can talk. I mean, we can start with it. We can talk about Pagan more. But I know everyone who's I don't want to say defending Pagan, but at least not burying Pagan as I want to do. Uh, says, well, he was pitching so well for you know the past three weeks or whatever. But if you gave him all a lie detector, the moment he took the mound sure. with two men on up a run uh, in this what bottom of the seventh, yes. I guarantee there weren't a lot of happy hearts there saying, no. "Ooh, good, Emilio Pagan." Yeah, I mean, it's a fair point that he, in fact, has been better this year than last year. Yeah. That that is just such it's a real low bar, <laughs> right? And even the oh, he's performed well over the last X number of weeks since right. April twentieth. He gave up. Six, Six runs, runs against the Red Sox, and I'm I'm the first one to say we talked about this at the time. Like I'm 
very far from an Emilio Pagan stand or defender or whatever. <laughs> right. Uh, but that was a really difficult spot to be put in to have to rush right. into a game in the third inning because Maeda got hurt and mm-hmm. just have to soak up whatever happened at that right. point. Yes. But he still gave up six runs. And then, yeah, in the, what, three weeks since then, I think he had f- roughly 15 innings or something like that. That was pretty good. But none of those in it, almost maybe one or two of those is 15 innings came in anything resembling a game that mattered, like a spot right. that mattered, even medium leverage or something like right. that. Now, that's common. You work a guy in low leverage and he works his way up. Uh, but, you but know. Every time you do that with a medium right. you regret that's, it. <laughs> that's sort of the thing we get to. And uh, now he's at the point. We've, we've talked about him so much and I've written about him so much. And, you know, going back to last year, obviously, that now anytime he does anything bad, it's just my Twitter becomes that for hours and hours and hours. And I don't know. I, I don't want to like, we, we had a discussion before the season began about, I, I was hoping that he wouldn't make the opening day roster right. based on the spring training performance, sure. which I knew was absurd, but <laughs> there it was. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, we also talked a lot during the off season of, you know, why haven't they added one more or added one? They really added none right-handed bullpen piece and you know i thought michael fulmer would would be an easy guy to re-sign for three or four million which is what he ended up getting from the cubs but they apparently weren't interested in michael fulmer now i should note michael fulmer's been terrible for the cubs so that wouldn't have helped at all my understanding after that was signed was that what fulmer wanted wasn't a chance to be in the starting people keep saying that but there's i saw no mention of that and he never started a game in spring training and he's been a setup man for the cubs so maybe he told the twins that at some point but either way right whether it's Fulmer or someone yeah, else. The truth, the, yeah, the point here is there's 20 other guys, too. That right. you could have taken now, some of them are probably off to terrible starts, too. So it was not like an automatic fix just mm-hmm. to add some $4 million veteran reliever. I mean, we saw that the year before with Joe Smith or whatever. But yeah, We actually have a story about that coming out to his daily review of all the free agent relievers yeah. that were signed this offseason. Turns out a lot of them turned out pretty well, <laughs> well which is something we don't often see. Turned out. We're a month into the <laughs> well, season. Yeah, we'll right, see. Joe Smith looks pretty good a month into the season, <laughs> too. True, yeah. For that matter, Emilio Pagan looked pretty <laughs> decent a month into last season. But the the idea was, you know, really the two they checked pretty much every box and overchecked the rotation box compared to kind of what we mapped out as here's right. the things they have yes. to do this offseason. And the two they didn't check were a right handed setup quality reliever, you know, not yeah. someone at the maybe Jorge Lopez level, but someone at the Griffin Jacks level. Not yep. Griffin Jacks currently because he's also struggling. But uh, that wasn't filled, and I think that has been a clear weakness now, especially that they've lost Theobar from the left side, yes. and they're having to elevate guys like Brock Stewart and Emilio Pagan, and they were counting on Elkala and Pagan, which neither of them look ready uh, for that job. And then the other box they didn't check all offseason was a right-handed hitting corner outfielder. We talked about McCutcheon yeah, or yeah, Trey yeah, right. Mancini yep. Yep. or Mitch Haniger or uh, Adam Duvall, guys like that. And I don't think that's been like a debilitating weakness or anything, but it's clearly been a weakness yeah, well, to the point that we're going to talk about Nick Gordon in a second. <laughs> Nick Gordon's gonna, on the going to call up their only right hand hitting They're field. calling up Kyle Garlick right. from AAA, even though he really hasn't hit much at AAA, just because they know he can fill that specific platoon, right. you know, part time role because they didn't fill it. And I think that's hurt them. You look at their numbers against left-handed pitchers, and it's been terrible in part because they've always started at least one or sometimes two, you know, Gallo, Kepler, uh, Larnick in the outfield against lefties because they don't have that job. Filled. I've been meaning to look up what their OPS is versus left-handed pitchers. Oh, this it's year. horrendous. Is it bad? They're hitting like 160. 
Okay. Something right. roughly so, or so one again, one of the top bottom five or something. That all, yeah, that, all that work that they put in bad. the offseason ended up being good. All I right. don't know where it ranks, but it's bad. And so the Pagan thing obviously relates to the first part of that, which is not whether it was resigning Fulmer, which would have worked out poorly probably anyway, or or just a run of the mill thirty something year old four to five million dollar reliever. Instead, they brought back Pagan. I mean, it's worth noting always that. They had a clean break opportunity with Pagan. Yes. Uh, you know, this wasn't didn't have to be a nasty breakup. It was just a let's go our separate let's ways. Let's just not offer arbitration. Right. right. Uh, and Or they could have traded him, which I had multiple Twins officials uh, all winter on several occasions uh, <laughs> insist to me, oh, we could trade Emilio if we wanted to. And I even uh, at one point I was maybe feeling a little too comfortable and I said, <laughs> Why don't you? Why wouldn't you? <laughs> and they were like, what? Uh, and instead of cutting him, which they could have done with no uh, monetary cost, or trading him, which right. they claim they could have done, which would have been even better, you saved the money that you would have given him, and you bring back some semblance of value, a bucket of baseballs, yep. a low single-A reliever, whatever it may be, they brought him back for $3.5 million. And it's not the $3.5 million, although certainly they could have used that, but it's more the opportunity cost of, well, yeah, he's going to be one of the lower leverage guys in our bullpen. But as we talk about now for five years, right? Every, even low leverage guys have to yes. find a time. Right. In, yeah. a, in, a, in modern usage of pitchers, and by the way, the Twins are still leading the major leagues in innings per start. So their starters are going as deep as any team in baseball right, right now. But that's still roughly five and a half to six and a half innings per start. Right. Which yeah, means right. you're using three or four relievers in yeah. any close game. Yeah. And when you do that, the idea that, well, hey, don't worry about Pagan. He's only our number five or number six reliever. Well, as we see, if you play three close games in a row yeah. and you use your main three or four pitchers, which in the Twins case is Duran, Lopez, Jax, and it had been Theobar. Right. Now it's, you know, who knows? By the time you get to like that second or third game, yeah. some of those guys are unavailable. Uh, or in the case yeah. of the third game in L.A., they were saving Lopez specifically for the eighth and Duran for the ninth. Correct. But Jax had pitched I don't know, four times in the last six games and was struggling himself. So your sixth guy suddenly is in a one-run game at Dodger Stadium in the seventh right. inning with two guys on base. And is that the highest leverage situation? No, it's still only the seventh inning. But that was certainly a game-changing right. situation yep. one way or the other. And that's, I think, the flaw in the Emilio Pagan well, hey, he's just another guy in the bullpen, and we'll use him in low leverage, which is, A, those guys still need to pitch medium and high leverage sporadically and sometimes semi-regularly, depending on how the other bullpen goes, especially now that Jax is struggling and right. Thielbar's yes, out. Right. Somebody, Brock Stewart maybe, yeah. is being right. elevated, yeah, right. and he then everyone else elevated. moves up yes, a spot. Correct. But then the other problem is it doesn't matter now with Pagan specifically – how he pitches in these low leverage spots because there is no reason whatsoever to have any faith that any amount of good work for weeks in low leverage will lead to right. uh, justified faith in high leverage. Well, and I, that's I, the problem I, I'll, too. I'll give you I'll give you a C. That if you're gonna invest those innings into an arm, invest those innings in an arm that will be of some use to you right. in years two, three, and four. Well, that's fair too, right? I uh, mean, the, it's not just the, it's not just that Pagan has been bad, right? And I understand that you know 
Listen, we often talk about swapping guys in and out of these eighth, seventh, sixth, fifth spots of the bullpen, yeah. right? That's perfectly reasonable thing to do, right? But you know, if you're going to give those the whole the way to use those spots is to end up using them as a way to develop. Sure. Uh, uh, you know, somebody who can be one of your one, two, three, four guys. Yeah, I mean, we saw that with Griffin Jacks last year. They right. started him off in kind of long relief. Right. He then went to sort of middle relief and right. then was a setup man by the right. end of the well, year. Well, we saw it for Brock Stewart well, yeah. this year, right? He's gone from, uh, you know, probably the seventh guy in the bullpen to or sixth guy in the bullpen to number three guy in the bullpen now, right now. they, w- I'm sure, would say and have said sort of with Pagan that, well, your point of future years is not – an issue with Pagan because he's he'll be a free agent after this year. Yeah, right. Uh, but that is my point, though. Is that, well, right. Why but Brock Stewart in? isn't necessarily a future investment. He's a thirty-one-year-old journeyman. Yeah. I mean, maybe, but right. but I think their point with Pagan along those lines was within a year they viewed him the same way, which is we'll start him out right. in low leverage, and by the end of the year he'll be a setup man. Because if that wasn't first of all, right. I think that's a within misguided. A year, right. Yeah. With you know by August, by August he'll yeah, he'll be something special. Right. right. A, I think that's a flawed view of Emilio Pagan, but we've been over that a thousand times. <laughs> and uh, like B, I guess to find that out, the only way to find that out, you can to trust him with the same at least tr- occasional trust, trust Lucy to hold the ball right, still this time. Thank you. <laughs> It's a better way. Right? I was trying to think of analogies in my head right. for some reason. Yeah, the, like this might be the time that she doesn't pull the ball right. away. But and the, what, the, what evidence is there? The about? thing that I keep coming back to with Pagan, and these are a lot of the same talking points that we talked about in June and July of last year and all off season. And I apologize if it seems repetitive, <laughs> but it is repetitive. Right. Uh, you know, that is the point. Right. I did not <laughs> think we would be in this same situation talking about the same player in the same ways. And what I keep coming back to is why go through this trouble for Emilio Pagan? Right. That's what I don't get. And if you have relievers struggle, I mean, relievers are they burn bright and they fade away quickly. Sure. And, and and they and because they are all a small sample size. Right. And I, I've seen people go, well, how come you're not as harsh on Griffin Jacks right, right. now, who's yeah. blown a bunch of games? Right, yes. But A, the underlying metrics of Griffin Jacks are much better. I also believe until the last couple outings, he had just gotten unlucky. Right. There's no bad luck with Emilio Pagan giving up grand slams. Right. I mean, when home runs are your when, issue. When he walks two players, now, including the strike the zone run. jumped around on yes, him. Right. So, okay, yeah. that's fair. But yeah, when your issue is giving up 450-foot home runs, no one goes, boy, he really got some bad luck there. Right. Whereas with Jacks, whether you want to buy into that or not, there's been a lot of squibbers, there's been a lot of bloops, and then it's kind of snowballs, right. which that part's on him. Right. But that's why people look at Griffin Jacks and go, well, he's blown three games, but we're going to keep working with him. The thing with Pagan that I don't get is now this is the fourth season in a row, which spans three teams, by right. the way. Yes. This, the fourth season in a row that he's had a ERA worse than the league average. Much worse than the league right, average, yes. but worse than league average, and a negative win probability. Right, which means he's prevented runs at a much worse rate than a relief pitcher league wide right, average, right. and those runs have hurt the team more than an average right. uh, amount because, as we see, when you put him in a high leverage situation, it's flammable basically. Right. And he's the only relief pitcher in baseball for that's true f- 
every year since 2020. 2020, <laughs> 2021, 2022, 2023. It's four straight seasons. And five of six seasons. He was good five years ago, but then the year before that, same story. And I look at him, right. and what they always say with him is, you know, we believe he has good stuff. We believe he throws hard. We believe he misses bats. We believe in all these other metrics and, you know, eye tests too. Right. But I question if that's even true at this point because he doesn't throw 100. He throws right. 96. And 10 years ago, people would have been having a cartoon googly sure, eyes right, yeah, for 96. Right. Yeah, right. Now it's like, yeah, right. okay, 96. Everyone in the bullpen right. who's anything throws 96. And we've oh, got, We've got plenty of starters. Right. Well, right. <laughs> and, oh, he misses you know bats. He strikes out 10 or 11 guys per nine innings. It's like, yeah. The league average is like nine and a half per right, nine yeah. innings for a reliever. And what we kind of concluded last year, and this seems to be the case again this year, unfortunately, is all the the good stuff and miss bats and velocity and spin rate and whatever you want to focus on. And oh, he's working on a cutter this year that he feels confident. And you know, there's always stuff that you can point to. That's all true, except if every twentieth pitch you throw is on a tee. Mm-hmm. And it gets hit 450 feet. All that other stuff doesn't matter. When you miss like he misses, yeah. it doesn't matter what all the other stuff is. It's like a quarterback who has a good completion percentage and you know can hit every route and can scramble well and gets rid of the football. But except keeps throwing it into the flat right. for the opposing team. Once a, <laughs> right. once a game, he just throws a pick six that right. gets returned for a touchdown every game. Right. We go, well, well he completed uh, 80% of his passes and he averaged nine right. yards a throw and it goes, well, yeah, but you know, 14 times in 14 games – he threw it right to the linebacker and he ran it back for a pick six. It's, it's like it cancels out everything else to the point that it becomes almost like, like am I taking crazy pills here <laughs> that we're still in this situation? Uh, listen, the what the you hear it from old time baseball people or from new time baseball. Uh, the two things you can't do as a reliever are walk people and give up home runs. Right, and those are the two things he tends to do in high leverage spot. The bigger right. the spot, the more often he does that, and. You know, the, obviously the Dodgers one was an example, which is walk in the tying run, right. give up a grand slam. <laughs> right. And it's like, well, okay. Like, And I looked at, from a WPA win probability standpoint, uh, because that measures the impact on the actual wins and losses, he decreased their win probability by 60-something percent. <laughs> and I, th- I thought, wow, that's a lot. And I looked, and that's the fourth time since the beginning of last season that he's knocked at least 50% right. off the Twins' win probability. Yeah. The entire rest of the team has done it six times. No one else has done it more than twice. Tyler Duffy did it twice and got his ass cut right. uh, in the middle of last season. Right. That, I mean, it's just, well, and just, just such to, an absurd to, level of this to have it happen three, four times. And yeah. obviously there were other games where he, you know, they lost 30% of their win probability with it. I mean, just so we're clear what that means is when you begin a game, you're at fifty. You're at fifty percent, right? Yeah. Right. So that is more than a loss. Yes. <laughs> essentially, it's essentially, four times. Yeah. I mean, think of it this way: it's turning. You would have been better off just <laughs> with uh, fifty at, at the very first pitch of the game than you would be with right. that instead that of having a lead game, or right? yeah. yeah. Uh, so. I don't know. I had a few other stats, but I, people probably got the message at this point. Let's get let's get back to him in a second. Look, our yeah. sponsors here. Real okay, quick. Uh, we got to talk a little bit about it's spring. Uh, you are looking at your lawn, and you're uh, you know if you are wise and look in the future, you're like this lawn in two months 
what's it going to look like? Am I going to be embarrassed? Yeah, don't be it? the one bad lawn on your block. Right. Everyone hates that guy. Right, exactly. Don't be that guy. And it's especially when it is so easy. Get Sunday makes it so easy. You just go online and you put in your address and they tell you exactly what your your what yeah. the soil composition is of your they can tell neighborhood. You the sizing of your lawn, so how much of it you'll need. They can tell you what type of grass and soil is being used so they can, you know, tailor it specifically to help your lawn. Right. And here's what you do. Sunday is offering Sunday like the day of the week is offering our listeners 50% off your first box so you can get started today for as little as 55 bucks when you go to getsunday.com/gleeman uh, at checkout that's 50% off your first box at getsunday.com yeah, They're going to they're going to send you a bag of stuff you're going to hook it up to your hose you're going to they're going to tell you when to put it out there so you know exactly the weekend to do it and you're going to take your thing just go to getsunday.com/gleeman get 50% 50 half off our other sponsor, Harry's Razors, uh, longtime sponsor. The idea of Harry's Razors is high-caliber razors, but they've eliminated the middleman, which right. A, keeps costs down for you, and B, <laughs> makes it so that you don't have to physically go to a store and try to convince someone who's already annoyed to go open some case and get you a razor, which inevitably leads to using worn-down razors longer than you should because you don't want to go get a new one right in this case a couple clicks on their website new one is shipped to you beautiful box but, uh, yeah but here yeah here's that's the part, part i want to call out is that it's not just a utilitarian boring razor and in fact right now they've actually redeveloped their razor handles and such i got one i got a brand new one two weeks ago it looks fantastic it's the sort of thing you almost want to display in your bathroom. Yeah. You <laughs> it can, looks so good. You can get their craft handle starter set for just 10 bucks. Uh, it includes a craft handle razor, five blade German engineered cartridge, razor cartridge with shaving gel and a travel cover. So right. it looks nice too. Yep. Um, and then you can, from there, if you want to schedule replacement blade delivery whenever you need them, the refills are as low as two bucks. So all you have to do to uh, elevate your shave with the latest and greatest in Harry's razor handle uh, lineup today is get your $17 craft handle starter set for just 10 bucks. Go to harrys.com slash gleeman. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S. harrys.com slash gleeman. Okay. Um, back to uh, Emilio Pagan, and then we'll finish up on him and move to lesser <laughs> things. But I wasn't planning. I actually wasn't planning to talk about this first, but okay. We can. <laughs> I like uh, getting it out of the way, to be honest sure. with you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. The I had one other... Uh, I don't know. It, it shows how much they miss the bar, obviously. Right. Um, because it's fine to say, oh, they'll just move everyone up a spot. But what that means is, you know, God love Brock Stewart. He's looked okay. But I don't know that I'd, like, after nine pretty good innings, I'm ready to, like, you know, hand them set up duties and i think they basically have them. right I mean, they've I mean, had to i don't mean right. they haven't i mean right. it's not ideal to do that obviously they were counting on alcala being part of this mix and he just hasn't seemed right all season he's back on the il right. um again with a forearm strain which we'll see what comes from that and you know pagan then is kind of the natural next guy to bump up into a role in that he's a veteran and they've he's in the second season yeah, with them right. and he's getting paid four million bucks and all this stuff right. and 
you know, yes, it was kind of uh, specific circumstances that led to him appearing like that in Game 3 of the Dodgers series and that they had used their bullpen pretty heavily the last several games and guys were down or guys were limited to only one inning and all that, but it wasn't that special of a circumstance. No, and this right. is kind of our point that we keep well, coming that, back that, to. That, what, that can, what that means, though, is that it can happen again. Right. They're not at the point where they're out of the woods on this. You know, right. Jax is still not Jax, or it hasn't been Jax recently. Uh, Theobar is still on the IL. I'm getting it, another. It's not going to be ready not when he's fast. eligible. Okay. No. And, you know, they're heading into a, a series facing Trout and Otani, and if you end up needing to go deep into the bullpen, they don't have a lot right. of other great options. Uh, That's the one thing you can say about maybe keeping Emilio Pagan, right? Is that. Well, that's always the funniest part or the most ironic part with Emilio Pagan is he's very durable. And he's also, Baldelli talked about Mm -hmm. this, which is what led to him pitching the third inning in Boston in that disastrous game in April, which is he told Baldelli, you know, because they talked to him and they said, you're not going to be a setup man to begin the year. And he told Baldelli, I pitch whenever you need me. First inning, ninth inning, 15th inning, whatever. And they appreciate that, which they should. Right. And I've said before a million times, I've been – one of yes. Emilio Caban's most vocal critics, he is a tremendously nice guy. Yes. And beyond that, which has no real value in the baseball world, I don't who cares if he's a nice guy other than me, but when he blows a lead, he stands there and he answers questions and he does it in a real way and he doesn't get combative. He's not a, he's not a diva. Right. right. He's yeah. the opposite of right. that. And so that's part – I mean, that certainly played into why they brought him back. Sure. But the the part that makes that tough is – He's the one who's available the most. And so when they go, ooh, our bullpen's kind of shorthanded. Who's gonna, who can pitch two innings today? Or who can pitch the seventh instead of the sixth? Well, Emilio's ready to, Emilio's ready to go. He's got a rubber arm. It's like, uh, and then lastly, just to read this stat, because I looked it up. Um, he's the, he has the worst win probability added of any reliever in baseball since 2020. Four years in a row of a negative win probability right. will do that. Yes. And no reliever has thrown more innings with a worse ERA since 2020, <laughs> which goes back to the durable right. part. And I looked this up um, because Lavelle tweeted last night in pure Lavelle fashion. <laughs> I'm working on a column for Sunday. Keep in mind, this was Thursday. I'm working on a column for Sunday, and some of the numbers say Emilio Pagan hasn't been as bad as most people think. And I thought, what a pure Lavelle tweet, which is, I'm going to write something four days from now, and I'll get really... Are you for a contract extension? Yeah. I for mean, Emilio Pagan? Yeah. Uh, so I looked this up. Uh, Emilio Pagan has the worst career win probability added by any Twins relief pitcher in the last 20 years. Keep in mind, he's been on the team for one year and t- less than two months. Right. He has the worst win probability added cumulatively right. in a Twins uniform of any reliever in 20 years. Uh, yeah. And they've had some bad relievers during that time. Matt Caps, I still get to wake <laughs> yeah. up screaming his name. And so I just <laughs> – I keep coming back to and then I swear we'll move on to the – I've got one more point I want to bring up. Okay, hold it. <laughs> Remember it. But I, I keep coming back to there are circumstances with a struggling reliever where I totally understand of course. sticking with them. Right. For instance, if Duran right. went through a 
two-month bad spell. We're watching Jax go through it. Right. right Even Jax to a right. lesser extent. Right now we're watching this. And look, that's subjective. Right. Maybe there are people who feel about Jax the same way that I feel about Pagan and are saying, why are we sticking with him? And I get that. But I would say that the stuff and the underlying numbers and also the luck versus 450-foot home run aspect shades towards Jax's favor. We'll see right. if that, I mean, maybe a month from now we're sitting here going, boy, Griffin Jax just isn't that good. It was a mistake that they stuck right. with him. But with, like, there are relievers because the sample is so small and because the mistakes are so magnified, the bad games are so magnified because you don't just go 0 for 3 uh, with a couple of strikeouts like you would as a hitter right. or it's you blow the game. You lost the game. You're one talking afterward about how you blew the game. And so you do that a few times, and even a great reliever has gone through this. I mean, Joe Nathan even went through this at times. But the reason you stick with relievers is because you say to yourself, well, the sample is small. The stuff is still good. The track record is something we believe in. And we, if we can get them through this patch, this right. bad patch, they can come out the other end a really valuable player, and we will be worse long term if we give up on them. They've clearly taken that stance with Emilio Pagan. I just don't understand what evidence there is that you're waiting for that bad patch then. Because as we've noted, this is the fourth consecutive year and the fifth time in six years that he's been a below average reliever, both in terms of preventing runs and uh, contextually within win probability. He And not just bad, but right. the worst during right. the last four years. Right. And I, I just – I don't understand – Look, I mean, they already kept him. I think, so, I, but I, what I, I don't understand is even if you mostly believe in Emilio Pagan, which they clearly did or do, why not just wash your hands of it, you know, blackjack dealer style? I think, I think you're giving them and get a, a different lever. Here. This was you're going into my point, which okay. is, does this does this management team just have trouble admitting a mistake? When when the yeah. results don't match up to the metrics, I think in general, I think in general it is uh, probably a good thing, a good a good philosophy to trust more in the process sure. than the results. Take a longer right? picture or a long a longer term, right. bigger picture view, and right. don't react to every bad stretch. Take and a look at the peripheral numbers absolutely. and the things underneath there that say no, this is going to work. Yes. If you if you give up every, especially in the case of something like relievers, right? If you give up if on you, every reliever who has a bad month, what you're going to be left with is the worst bullpen in the world and no good relievers because exactly. they all have bad right. months, right? Hundred percent agree. But, but <laughs> at some point, there there does have to be a, a reach a point where you are like, maybe we're not right. Like maybe yeah. the peripheral numbers and our philosophy and these things, there is something we are missing. Right. There is something about this picture that we haven't been able to figure out to measure or whatever. And for whatever, or maybe it's just the baseball gods. Well, I don't know. You know, this it's, is it's my just, point, it's which just is, something going on. Right. Maybe you're not wrong about Emilio Pagan. <laughs> maybe it's just been wrong so far for right. random luck and chance. Now, right. I don't really believe in that, but right. Like, right. for right. this. Right. At so, uh, but at what point? But even if you are right, at <laughs> right. some point, go be right about someone else. But it's not just Pagan, right? We saw it with Colomay. Right? We yeah, saw, although they chose not to bring back Colme. The they chose year. not to bring him back. They could have. They right, had an exactly option right, on him right, yeah. for but, five and a half million, I yeah, think. That's, that, yeah, like that was that. A, 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 
I mean, that would, and we actually did debate whether or not they would consider that. But it was the, the reason, same story as Pagan, by the way, right, yeah, horrible yeah. in April. Right. Now Pagan was horrible in June and July, but then right. finished on a high note to the yeah. point we were like, oh, will they bring them back? But we said the same thing then. Yes. Why not just <laughs> wash your hands of it, right. chalk it up to a bad experience, and find a similar yeah. relief? My point is the reason we considered them doing that then was for the same reason. Being, they just don't like to admit sure. that the, sure. the peripherals when aren't they, encompass, aren't are, that they're incorrect. Sure, that the, especially the, uh, when they have additional team control. Right, they clearly acquired Pagan, assuming that they would have him for two years, not just one year. And when he was horrible in year one, right. it didn't change their opinion of well, we have him for year two. Uh, and yes, look, maybe from this point forward. Emilio Pagan will be phenomenal. Maybe <laughs> we'll be sitting here on the same show talking in, about how in August talking about how in October they saved <laughs> he saved their ass. Game six he came in. Right. And, Who right. could have guessed that Emilio Pagan was gonna throw six scoreless innings in the ALCS <laughs> against the Yankees and save their ass? Look, I would I would I'm not gonna swear because it's not that. the Patreon. I would effing love to be wrong about that. <laughs> All right. But in the meantime, I just I what I, I just do not understand why this is the hill to die on. Why this is the guy that makes you live through what you've lived through, which is not just a standard bad patch for a reliever. I like that they're stubborn in general about process over results. Yeah. But at some point it becomes hubris. It becomes Yeah, I don't know. It becomes the point where you're just like I, I, yeah, I don't, do we just not want to admit that we were wrong? It's almost. I, I'm not saying that's not the the motivation here, right. but we've gotten to the point after trying to figure this out all off season and talking to people on and off the record about it all off season. I've gotten to the point where I don't even, I can't even like conceptualize in my head what I think their motivation is for it. Right. It's gotten yeah, right. that far. Well, that's what I'm saying. Where I'm just like, there is no logical. Right. In my opinion, they clearly disagree, but there is no logical you know, chain of decision-making uh, events right. that leads you to this other than just, I don't, I don't have to know. I don't get it. And <laughs> I will also say this. It's not Emilio Pagan's fault that he keeps getting put into these situations. Now, it's his fault that he struggles, oh, sure. obviously. But if they kept him in low-leverage situations, we wouldn't be having this discussion. But that's also The problem is right. it's almost impossible to keep him or any reliever in an eight-man bullpen where four or five get used anytime you have a lead, it's impossible to truly hold a guy back, particularly when they usually have a long reliever who's also being yeah. held back, and they usually have someone like Alcala who's kind of getting worked back in slowly. So in reality, he's closer to the middle of the bullpen than the back if of the bullpen. If he would have signed with somebody, as a, some, with somebody else as a free agent this year, right? Maybe a $3 million contract with somebody. Yeah. And he had the year that he had right now, which... Yeah. You know, uh, they'd be like, eh, you know, it happens. Well, right. You know what I mean? That's kind of a... He's, he's had two bad outings, but mostly he's been pretty good, you know. But what was and, lost? And, 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 we, yeah, and we didn't expect that much. He was a sixth or seventh guy or something like that. Well, but that goes back to... It's a different way of saying what I've been saying now a million times. I swear we're going to move on. <laughs> uh, I say that. That's going to be on our t-shirt. I swear we're going to move on. But that's a different way of saying it. Like, let's say they had cut Emilio Pagan and he'd gone somewhere else and signed for three and a half million or, or they right. had traded him, which they claim they could have done and maybe he can still right. do. Who knows? And yeah, he was working a sixth or seventh inning rule and you look at his numbers and you go, well, they're not great, but really it's just two bad outings. And right. Do you think the Twins would live in great regret of that, that they didn't have that? That's what I don't <laughs> right. get yes, is like, right. let's, let's flip this and say you did cut him and he went on to have a good for him season. 
is that going to be like David Ortiz going to the Red Sox? No, right. it's going right. to be right. like, I don't even know what it was. Like, who cares? <laughs> right. Find right. another right. reliever. So anyway, that's Emilio Pagan. Uh, it's not even Brandon Kinsler being traded away. Yeah, I mean, like, what is the, right. <laughs> oh no, he was a decent setup man somewhere. Else. I, just, I just, I don't understand it. I really don't. And I know there are people in that clubhouse including Emilio Pagan, and there are people in the press box, including Dan Hayes, who think I've been overly harsh on Pagan. <laughs> and my point always is I have absolutely nothing against him personally. In fact, I think he's a tremendous guy. I've talked uh, basketball with him on many occasions. Um, I think he's a stand-up guy. Yeah, our criticism isn't so much of Pagan. But it I isn't even of Baldelli. But if you're saying to yourself <laughs> – using Pagan. Well, yeah. I mean, but yeah, Baldelli's not the one keeping him on the roster. Baldelli's not the one that gave him three right. and a half million. He, he's the one who gets stuck with, I have to right. re, I have to get to my, my sixth best reliever has to be out there right now because that's who I've got left. Right. Who else and that gonna is going to be Pagan. But here, I'll tell you what I tell Dan, which is if you think I am obsessed with tweeting negative things or writing negative things about Emilio Pagan, that's because he won't stop doing <laughs> negative things. All I'm doing is tweeting out his updated numbers. Right, and yeah. the fact that they only get worse and worse and worse is not my fault. Uh, I'm yes. representing the reality. So uh, that's where I'm at with him. I find myself at times like being a weird defender of him because <laughs> the hit, the criticism does get too harsh. But anyway, ultimately, here's where we are. And I'm sure now they'll kick him back to a low leverage role, as we've seen five different times since last year. And he'll gradually work his way up or there'll come a circumstance where the bullpen's right. – not rested, and he's got to be in a tie and game. Perhaps everybody will get healthy, and some of the arms at uh, St. Paul, sure. Blazovic comes up here and blows people away, or something like that. So. Well, there, yeah, there aren't really. I mean, we see Brock Stewart, who was the one guy at St. Paul that people right. in St. Paul were going, "This guy's legit right, right now." And yeah, maybe Blazovic can be that shortly. Um, you know, there's some other. You know, Simeon Woods Richardson, if he were mo to move to the bullpen, I think could be potentially maybe Ronnie good. Enriquez. Yeah, he's back. Ronnie Enriquez is definitely. He struck out uh, four and two scoreless yesterday. But there is a little wish casting. We are, what we right. are doing right now is wish casting. But that's <laughs> part of bit, why right? that right. landscape of right-handed <laughs> relievers is part of right. why in December we were like, right. why don't they just go spend five million bucks on a decent right-handed right. reliever? Uh, okay. So let's uh, move on. The other aspect of that game was injuries. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right? Uh, <laughs> that's, what, that's the other half of why it was one of the crummiest games that's of the true. season. That's so true. Yeah, you, right. you, you lose the war and the battle. No, you lose the fight <laughs> and the war. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> Adding insult to injury. Adding injury to insult <laughs> really exactly is what it was. Right. Yeah, right. uh, so, yeah, there's a few different things. So, A, since last we spoke on this show, right. the free show, Kepler went on the IL for a hamstring strain, a mild hamstring strain, and Larnick replaced him. Yeah. Uh, also, since last we spoke, Royce Lewis's rehab moved from Double A Wichita yes. to Triple A St. Paul, where he played third base last night. Uh, I think went zero for three or something like that. Uh, he played third yeah. base, and Miranda played first base last night, which huh. is interesting. Uh, and the clock is ticking on Lewis's rehab window, which is basically running parallel to the 60-day injured list eligibility, right. which I believe, I don't know the exact date, but it's either the 30th or the 31st, 31st. of this month He is the time he would be eligible for the Twins to activate him from the injured list. And, that, and then I know that the rehab assignment has to be over the 30th is the last day right. of that. Right. And so they lined it up that way intentionally, obviously. Right. Um, and that doesn't mean that come the 31st, 
Is there 31 days in May? Yeah, yeah. 31, yeah. <laughs> I, I had to do the 30 days has September, April, <laughs> I, June, I, and November, I, I all the rest. I looking at your knuckles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't have that many fingers to count. I had to do toes. And, anyway, uh, you know, let's just call it June 1st. On June 1st, that doesn't mean that he has to be activated and called up. That means they have to activate him, or they don't have to activate him, but the rehab assignment comes to a close. You would typically activate him, but it could be an Alex Kirilov situation where they activate him and option him to AAA. And then he goes from being a rehabbing major leaguer to just a AAA player. But if he's playing well and he looks healthy, and it certainly looks that way right now, uh, he's hit a couple homers. He's stolen three bases already. He's playing third base and shortstop. There's nothing really blocking him, his path to being the starting third baseman, you know, unless Kyle Farmer just has an incredible right. two more weeks, which he's looked good so far since coming yes, back. Right. But I think it would make the team better yeah. to have Lewis as your primary third baseman with some Kyle Farmer in there because they're not sure. going to play Royce Lewis seven right. days a week, yeah. obviously, initially. And use Farmer to give Polanco a break at second, to give Correa a break at short. He can play some first base. He can be a pinch hitter against left-handed pitchers, right. all that sort of stuff. That's the role they kind of envisioned for him coming up. And, and all you're doing is sending Willie Castro to AAA, which is probably where Willie Castro should be spending right. some time, right? Or not even, now that Gordon's on the IL, which well, we're about to talk that's about here. Point. So also in yesterday's game at Dodger Stadium, Nick Gordon followed the ball off his shin and was down in, looked like, Horrible pain for several moments. Yep. Then kind of hopped around and finished the talked himself into staying in the game uh-huh. uh, with uh, Nick Paparesta, the trainer, and Rocco Baldelli, which is generally pretty difficult to do can be. with that duo yeah. or any duo. Uh, stayed in the game was, I think, a 2-2 count at that it's, point. It's actually not that hard to talk them into letting you finish the at-bat. It's tough to talk them into letting you come back out right. of the dugout That's the what next I, time. I do always say that. That's There's what, no way this guy's actually... making it back out of the dugout. <laughs> like, yeah, a guy defensively, <laughs> right. Kepler will dive or something, yes. and they'll call out and look at him, and they'll call, they'll leave him out, but yeah. then the inning will end. He'll go into the dugout, and I'll say, There's no shot this guy's making his way out of the dugout. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. That's right, yeah. So he then gets one pitch and swings at it, and swings through a fastball, strike three, and looked like someone shot him in the leg, basically. Right. Yeah. And it turns out after the game, uh, yeah, he has a fractured shin. He stayed in the game with a fractured shin, and it took at least one swing with a fractured shin. Now, we don't, we haven't heard a specific timetable yet. Um, I'm sure they want to get him home and have him go to their doctors and stuff. But he ain't going to be back soon with from right. a fractured shin. And it sounds like the the corresponding roster move for him going on the IL later today will be Kyle Garlick, who we mentioned earlier, coming up from AAA, who's already on the 40-man roster. He has spent big parts of the last two seasons with the Twins and was actually with them for like a week earlier this season. Right-handed hitting outfielder, much different than Nick Gordon, stylistically, (laughs) but fills a role that he can start two times a week, let's say, when they're going to face a lefty, which they are facing a couple times in this yeah, that, uh, Angel that, series. That, I, my, that's my theory on why Garlic is on this right. team. is two, The first two starters versus the uh, yeah. Twins and, and the Angels are both southpaws. Giants, too, one of the games. Is that right, come back here, there's okay. another lefty there. Um, so that's that move. Now, also in that game, uh, Polanco left with what they're calling a mild hamstring strain. And Gallo left after following a ball off his shin, basically. Right. Almost the same spot as Gordon. Right. And they were initially worried that he also fractured his shin because it swelled up immediately. Right. But x-rays showed no fracture and it, you know, they seem 
I'm not even going to say optimistic, hopeful uh, that (laughs) he could avoid the IL. But yesterday was an off day, so they'll see what everybody looks like today at the ballpark. Um, If Gallo goes on the IL, my assumption is that it would be Matt Wallner who replaces him. If Polanco goes on the IL, my assumption would be Edward Julian would replace him. Um, I want to respond to that, but I'm going to do that after we hit our last two sponsors. I will (laughs) respond to that. But just a moment. <laughs> I'm going to cite this particular case. Uh, <laughs> we should talk a little bit about uh, catching uh, baseball games at Target Field. One of the ways you can do it is you can uh, snag some tickets on Game Time because Game Time has tickets that are available at the last minute and they're very cheap. Uh, Their Garrett, specialty is sort of hard to find or last minute tickets. That's that you're right. saying, how am I going to get these? Go look on the Game Time app. Yeah. But I mean, I. <laughs> Listen, I get people asking me all the time, hey, I want to catch the game at Target Field. Uh, what's the best way to get tickets? And my, I'll be honest with you, the best way to get tickets to Target Field is from a third-party vendor right now. Yeah. I mean, that's... Look at the that, game time app as you're walking to Target Field. That is exactly Or as you're we pre-gaming. We literally do that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we do that. Actually, we do that from the uh, Craft Brewer yeah. Brewery <laughs> a half an hour before the game at Target Field. I think I found tickets to the last uh, – I had to buy three tickets to Target Field because we've got season tickets, but we were bringing like three friends. I think they were three bucks a piece. Right. And now, you know, there's fees on top of that. There is sure. for every ticket broker. But uh, we have found the Game Time app to be absolutely reliable in that. And in that, you know, immediate, they, they're delivered to you immediately electronically. It could not be easier. So you can snag the tickets without the stress with the Game Time app. Download the Game Time app. Just create an account and you use the code Gleeman and you'll get $20 off your first purchase. Uh, terms apply. But again, create an account and redeem the code Gleeman for $20 off. That's download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. If and then you, our last sponsor. If, if you join uh, Twin, uh, Gleeman and the Geek here before we actually start recording, a lot of times our conversation is about uh, bets I have been making with uh, various power troopers. Yeah. About that. One, one another 50 bucks from Sauce the other day, by the way. Uh, but you know, not, everybody, not everybody has a built-in no. uh, group of friends that are degenerate gamblers. But <laughs> now that MLB is back, uh, my bookie can be your one-stop shop for all your betting needs with a wide range of betting options, including... Money lines, run totals, totals, futures. My bookie gives you plenty of ways to bet on your favorite team and players. You can also take advantage of brand name My Bookie Money Bag, which gives you a chance to secure a bet on your favorite team or player at insanely boosted odds. Just sign up today at My Bookie and use the promo code Gleeman to secure a first deposit bonus of up to one thousand dollars. It's simple. You just deposit 200 bucks and suddenly you'll be playing with 300 bucks instantly. Just use the promo code Gleeman to claim your bonus. So if you're a baseball fan looking to add some excitement to the season, look no further than my bookie. Sign up now and get ready to experience the thrill of baseball betting like never before. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Okay. Uh, you were going to do your debate club response oh, yeah. what was your point? <laughs> well, you're not <laughs> much of a debater. You're supposed to take notes. <clears throat> oh, I'm, uh, I'm wondering if... Uh, I'm wondering if Miranda might not replace Gallo at first base. But Gallo hasn't been playing first base. Yeah, he's been playing a little bit. But you got Kirilov and Larnick in the corner outfield spots, right? They're both on the team right now. So, well, right, but Kirilov's been so playing you, mostly you could first be, base. Well, that, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a fair point. Yeah. I mean, you could, but A, Miranda hasn't hit yet at AAA. He's like hitting. Part of, part of the reason you've been having that is because Gallo's superior. You gain more in defense from... Gallo out in 
left field than you do from Kirilov in left field, and you don't lose that much from Kirilov versus Gallo at first base necessarily, right? Well, right, but so that, that, seems that like, goes against you, what you're saying. You, no, but now you you're got, suggesting putting Kirilov in the outfield where you just said he's not very good. Yeah, but my point is I'm not sure that you trust Walner out, there, out in left field the same way that you trust— Can uh, I have a follow-up in this debate club? <laughs> yes, do you can. trust Jose Miranda as your everyday first baseman? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Ding! Gleeman wins that round. <laughs> Debate club, baby. And I never even did that because that's for nerds. <laughs> I was on the I don't even think, team. I was not on the debate I team. don't think we had a debate club or a speech. Poor Highland. We were lucky we had doors and windows and desks. I'm sure you didn't on the stalls. Yeah, I don't even. <laughs> I've told this story before, but my high school, Highland Park Senior uh-huh. High School in St. Paul, uh, they locked the bathrooms during class. So you couldn't just... You could only go at pastime? Well, you needed to get someone to unlock them because we had police officers roaming one per floor. (laughs) I don't think I've ever heard this If you had a pass, you could get them to open the bathroom. But if you were cool and you were just in the hallway without a pass, you just had to pee on yourself, basically. (laughs) That was your only chance. Anyway... But this is my first debate club win. Yes. Yeah, we'll see. Now, the co- quality of competition. <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have to see if Gallo actually gets put on the IL. That would, well, that right. would be yeah, the deciding need... point. <laughs> yeah. It's, the debate club is theoretical, though, right? Like, it's like scenarios. I guess that so. You're talking, so I don't care if Miranda actually gets called up. I still chalk it up as a win. You know me. Um, so, obviously, they're hoping that both Gallo and Polanco can avoid the IL, even if they miss a couple games here in Anaheim. But the goal right. would be have them ready for Monday when uh, San Francisco comes to town. Um, you know, it's... I don't love that. <laughs> well, right. But people always I, say that. But, like, there have, there are certainly instances where... I, I think the, Max Kepler clouds this too much. Well, maybe. maybe because Max bit. Kepler will always take three days. Here's what clouds it too much. 50, uh, 20, 25 years of being a Twins fan and watching them carry guys well, on, sure. the, on the roster that are hurt for way too long when you're never really sure when they're coming back. Now, well, yeah, Kepler's a, a really good example at one right. end of that extreme. But, you know, Polanco as uh you know coming back from came it took him an extra, you know, few weeks to come back from injury. My guess is he could probably use about 10 days off. So, yeah, except he's been great the last week. Yeah, he has been great. Yep. So's Gallo. Yep. Gallo's got three homers in his last uh, Fanta- four games yep. or whatever. He's been fantastic. It's uh I mean like, yeah, look, they show up at the ballpark today and they can't walk. Go ahead and put him on the IL. I'm certainly not going to argue against that. I'm just saying, yeah, it's not a twins-only thing to give guys no, two no, or three no, days. No, agreed. And That's I'm, all I'm, I'm saying. not po- totally opposed to them giving him, you know, a couple days. But if you get to the point where you can't backdate it, John three, three is days is pushing so hard for Jose Miranda everyday first baseman. <laughs> you liked what you saw last year, huh? <laughs> the ball's going through his legs. What I do uh, like, I do like the idea of having Edward Julian play some second base. Well, that I agree, and, with. right? And so I don't understand again what the big downside. I mean, I know what the big downside is. Polanco's a hell of a player, right? Don't get me wrong, but it's not like they're going from Jose uh, uh, from uh, Polanco to Willie Cat to a lot of Willie Castro at second base. So true, but yeah, I mean. You're not like ding. We up, no <laughs> debate club's over. <laughs> Don't laugh. That first of all, that kick you out for laughing. It's a serious matter. Debate club. By the way, in debate club, they don't have a bell. I don't think. I'm almost sure I don't. Ever, well, that's I, not I saw fun. <laughs> no, I bring my own. Ding. One of the like at a hotel. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, lobby desk. That's right. Yeah. That's what when I check in. Ding, ding. Yeah. I win. Ding. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was I gonna say? Uh. The, always so much is made of, 
you know, why did you wait? You, you, you ended up put him on the aisle anyway, so why did you let him stay on the active roster for two or three days? Right. Now, four or five days, yeah. Two or right. three days, I get. But not as much as made of, well, actually, this guy was ready on day four, but you decided to immediately place him on the aisle, so then you lost him for six games, right. which is the same yeah, or sure. worse, obviously. Well, and I'm, not, I'm less worried about the Gallo thing because he's not playing the first two games of the series anyway, probably. They're facing left-handers the first couple of games. Well, yeah, but you're not going to want – Ed Julian's not some big asset against lefties well, at second point. base. He's a lefty. Yeah, you're probably not even going to – you're probably going to see, like, Willie Castro yeah. at second base. Fair point. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's fine. Uh, I do think those will be the moves if, if a move is needed. Um, the Gallo thing, we mentioned he's got a bunch of homers lately. The yes. Joey Gallo reluctant leadoff hitter has been very funny to watch because we started <laughs> to see it. He started it in uh, at home before they went on this series. Um, and the first time they did it, which I guess was the last game of the series or the second to last game of the homestand. It must have been the second to last because you guys yeah. talked to him about right. it. <laughs> and. Right. He had played, I think, 781 games in the majors, I want to say, over nine years, and had never started as a leadoff hitter. And Baldelli was asked, what made you do that? And he goes, I don't know, just decided. (laughs) I mean, obviously, Kepler going on the IL forced it a little bit, and the fact that they want Polanco in the middle of the lineup and not the top of the lineup, because then once those are in place, those two things, who's a leadoff candidate, really? Right. You know, Kyle Farmer, Willie Castro. Michael Taylor? No, we not rest, really. We wrestled with this in the offseason. Right. When we were debating who's going to end up being yeah. the leadoff. Once you trade Luis Arise, you right. don't really have an obvious leadoff guy. Now, they hope Julian could be that long-term right. or Royce Lewis could right. be that long-term. But today, they decided to go with Gallo. And the funny thing about that was uh, Gallo hates the idea of leading <laughs> off. Of course. Like, outwardly, we'll talk about how much he hates it. But I think they kind of like that, not because they're <laughs> screwing with him, but because th- I think there's a feeling with Gallo that he's a guy who gets in his own head a little bit. And Baldelli even said this, if you can kind of send his brain scrambling a little bit, the result is often good and not bad. Yeah. Uh, it's and, like a reboot. Yeah, it's like a reboot. or <laughs> yeah, It kind of forces him to live in the moment as yeah. opposed to obsessing about whatever. And he, he goes out there and he starts for the first time. And he, he homers at uh, Target Field. Right. And then after, it's like, uh, boy, I guess you, you're a leadoff hitter now. And he's like, yeah, don't tell Rocco that. Like, I don't want that. <laughs> and then he does it again. Yep. Homers yep. in the second game. And yep. then for a third time in, what, five games as a leadoff guy or whatever, did it on this on this road series. Yep. And uh, I wasn't on the road, but I read Doe's article talking to him. And, it, and he's like, well, I, I don't want to say I don't want to do it, but I don't want to do it. <laughs> and it's like, but nobody seems to care. And no. <laughs> I don't, I don't envision him. And in fact, right. like, well, and we should, we actually got a, a question um, for the. Sometimes we get them when we do our Patreon. We have all mail bags, right? When yeah. People usually send the Wednesday into morning exclusive inbox episode is mailbag questions, right? But we sometimes I get questions sent to me other ways, right? And one of them was sort of like, who are the divas on the Twins, or who are you know the more arrogant <laughs> yeah. guys, and. <laughs> one of the names that was brought uh, of the, the four names that they threw out, I'm not even gonna say what they were because they were all wrong. Like right. all, none of those four were any of the guys that I would have called a, a diva on this team. But one of them was Gallo, yeah, and he's about as far from a diva it, as anybody exactly I've ever right. met. So, in my so life. when you, when you say you know he's he doesn't want to do it or he's complaining about it or something, he's doing it in a joking right, manner. He's literally right. laughing as yeah, he's saying that's this. Right. Yes, he's just like he's he's right. He's self mocking himself as a as a leadoff hitter essentially. Joey Gallo is like a. Um, I guess you'd call him 
I don't know if you're like doing the grease classifications for high school kids. Okay. He's a meathead. <laughs> but he's like, and he's like 6'5", and right. he's built like a brick-ass house, yeah. and he's an incredible athlete, and he's been a superstar athlete since he was 14, probably. Right. But a jovial meathead. But yeah, right. I'm Right. He's He is a, I think he would probably even say like, I'm a jock. Right, yeah. But, but he's funny. And very, very self-aware. Right. Which is why they yes. kind of want to scramble his right. brain a little yeah, bit. Right. And very self-deprecating. Yes. And very informal in the sense that he will drop F-bombs constantly <laughs> on camera, which I appreciate. So, yeah, diva is not how I would describe Joey No, Yellow he's the opposite all. of that. Right. I mean, yeah. if he were a true diva, Baldelli wouldn't be making light of yeah, saying he doesn't want to do it, but we're going to make him do it. <laughs> right. And then the other thing right. that works into that right. is Baldelli said that the actual idea was first broached of, of Gal leading off during spring training, which we saw him lead off actually half dozen times probably during spring training while I was there. Uh, and Baldelli said that the idea of that came from bench coach Jace Tingler, right. who was a coach in the Rangers organization when A, Gallo was a prospect coming up and then a young star player for them, and then B, Thad Levine was the assistant GM at that right. time in Texas. And I think Tingler is viewed by the Twins as sort of like a, a Gallo whisperer. Right, yeah. Uh, and Baldelli's like, I haven't really heard if he hates leading off directly. Jace just follows him around all day and then tells me the stuff he says uh, <laughs> yeah. to curse me, basically. Exactly. Yeah. And so I do think this well, Baldelli is... Baldelli has also said straight up, like, when uh, Gallo is talking to people, you don't want to leave. You know, he, right. he, he wants to be there when he hears Gallo talking. Yeah. So he's, he's got that personality. So, you know, do I think that Joey Gallo in the leadoff spot is a good fit? Not really. Is it going to be something that we're going to see a month from now? Still, probably not. It's a is it is it because of that that he's hitting three home runs and blah blah. blah? Probably not. It's probably knows? all coincidence. Who knows? Right? Yeah, but, I do think though but, that. But when crap works, right? I mean, I think it's similar. When it doesn't work, they should maybe change, make a change. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Which not, we just talked about for the first forty five minutes of this podcast. Well, we also talk <laughs> a lot about how the lineup, the the analysis of batting order, right, is so overdone, right. And the difference between Joe Gallo batting fifth versus batting first has some – the leadoff spot has this big importance right. to it. Well, all they're saying is he's the first guy up and he's going to get more plate appearances than everyone. Right. Well, he leads the team in OPS right now. Yeah. So when you want him getting the most plate appearances of everyone and maybe that leads to a few more get-me-over fastballs in his first at-bat because yeah. pitchers are just trying to start the game by getting ahead, uh, maybe it, – it, it leads to scrambling his brain a little bit. I also just think people look at a low batting average and a high strikeout rate, and they go, oh, my God, that would be horrible in the leadoff spot. But really what you're looking for in the leadoff spot are two things, three things, really. Speed, which he's yeah. not a burner, but none of the other options, really. They're not going to hit Michael Turner in the leadoff or Michael Taylor in the leadoff spot. Right. Um, you're looking for on-base skills, which he draws a ton of walks. Right. He's drawn 100 walks in multiple seasons. He has – Second most walks on the team right now. 330 on base for his career, despite hitting like 199 or whatever it is. And just overall production, which he's leading the Twins in OPS. So why not put that guy at the top of the lineup? So, uh, yeah, I don't expect it to continue. I think Royce Lewis, part of what makes Royce Lewis so appealing and why we're, you know, tracing this path of, you know, in two weeks he could be with the Twins is because, A, they have a spot at third base that needs filling. Yeah. No offense to Kyle Farmer, but it, it needs filling. And then, B... You can kill two birds with one stone if Royce Lewis is leading off. There. Yeah, that's true. 
Uh, and Julian, same thing. Long-term. We should just mention that is one of the more exciting things about Royce Lewis on this rehab assignment is that he's been stealing bases. Yeah. I don't know if you mentioned that when you're talking about yep. some of the things he's been doing at, uh, at uh, Wichita yeah, and I mean, at uh, St. Paul. It's exciting in the sense that he's successfully stolen them, which su- right. suggests, well, we don't have sprint speeds at double and triple A or whatever. We don't have it you know, fully accurate. Although I talked to a scout who, who watched him at double A and, you know, timing him with a stopwatch and all that and said he's not quite back to where he was, but he's doing pretty damn well for two torn ACLs. But it's almost more encouraging that he wants to try to right. steal bases. Exactly. You know what I mean? That he's not afraid of right. what he has done to that knee. Right. Right. Immediately. He not, feels comfortable. Right. Yeah, not waiting a couple weeks to do it. Right. Like he's running huh. early and Especially often. for somebody who's ahead of schedule. Yes. Yeah. I, I agree so, with that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I had a few other uh, few other notes on the lineup. So, yeah. The uh, Lewis probably going to be viewed similar to to Kirilov, which is they'll evaluate his production and his health and then also, you know, is Farmer hitting 350 right, at that yeah, point? Right, There's yeah. less of a need right. at that point. Or is somebody that, else injured? Or, or, or maybe that, that changes Royce Lewis's role. Maybe he's not the everyday True. third baseman. Maybe he's the guy that's popping around well, between see, second base shots. I thought they were – when I thought Miranda would still have the third base job right now. Right. I thought – I envisioned Royce Lewis returning in June or July. He's a little ahead of schedule, like right. you said. And I thought, well – a super utility role will kind of make sense here. Have him play some third. He can back up short. He can play some second. He can play some center. But it sounds like he's n- maybe not that keen on playing the outfield, which is understandable given that that's how he got right. – he, re- he re-injured himself. And he's not playing second on the rehab assignment uh, because they have Julian at second at triple at A. So I don't know. I thought a utility – I mean, I still think center field is the best bet for him long term. Well, but it doesn't sound like he or the Twins agree with especially that. Especially given some of the stuff that's going on right now on the Twins roster. Right, you lose Nick Gordon and Taylor's got a tough – a bad back. I'm a little worried about what's going to – what the answer is for center field here. We talked a little bit about, you know, Joey Gallo maybe spending some time there. But Joey Gallo's out there with a banged-up shin now too. Right. And then we get to perhaps – is Buxton maybe an option in center field here again if things turn south? Or Royce Lewis yeah. would be another option. I think uh, you might see, I don't know, Mark Contreras. Yeah, well, that's, like that's that. what I was, was actually. I, I was having too, a good start. Having at, a good year. At yeah. AAA. You won't see Celestino because Celestino still isn't back, right? He's, I don't think he's playing he's in not St. Paul. Close yet. to return. No, yeah. Uh, yeah, he had major uh, wrist surgery, right. torn wrist ligament. ligament. Um, let's see. And a couple other. Make sure I hit everything. The I mean, we talked about Kepler on the Patreon, so we won't get super heavy into that. He could be back during this upcoming homestand. Uh, he generally yeah. returns soon from the IL. The th- the two things you know about Max Kepler when, as it relates to injuries is he has a lot of nagging injuries. This is his seventh time going on the IL since September of 2020. So in roughly three yeah, years, seventh yeah. time, almost all of them, other than he got COVID once, almost all of them have been like soft tissue injuries, which yeah. are generally day-to-day, not month-to-month. And in almost every case, the Twins and Kepler say it's day-to-day and we think he could play tomorrow. In this case, they immediately said after the game, it's just a leg cramp. He could play tomorrow. Right. And in fact, he did pinch hit yep. the next day and then didn't stay in defensively and then went run on the IL the next day. What we know about him is, at this point, he is very much not into playing at less than 100%. 
And that's fine. I'm, you know, I don't think that's like a moral failure or anything, but it, it is part of the equation with Kepler when he leaves the game with a minor injury. And it, I think what changed this time around is that the Twins have been through this same dance with him before, including this season, but multiple times last season and multiple times the year before, where it looks to them like a day-to-day injury. And he says to them, yeah, I'll see if I can play tomorrow. And going back to our conversation of putting someone on the I.L. immediately right. or not, I think the difference between Kepler versus Polanco or Gallo, who we were just talking about under similar circumstances, is they've gotten to the point where they know now that giving Kepler three or four days doesn't help anything. Right. Because he will tell you, well, let's see how I am tomorrow, and then let's see how I am tomorrow, and then let's see where I am tomorrow. So I think in this case, they viewed it as a mild hamstring strain. They might have, with any other player, given him until roughly now, right. or maybe yesterday or something, to figure it out. But they just decided with him, nope, we're going to shut him down. We're not doing this again. Uh, and they brought up Larnick. Now, having a guy as good as Larnick available to call up played a part in that, yep. obviously. If it was Mark Contreras, no offense to It's a little to bit Mark of a luxury. Contreras. It's right? a little bit of a luxury. But the other thing we do know with, with Kepler is he does return from the IL typically when eligible. Now, that right. speaks to the nature of the injury. And perhaps they thought that he could have stayed off the IL, but right. uh, and so we're relatively close to him coming off the IL. It would be Tuesday he could come off okay. the IL, uh, which, Gallo, which is possible. Which with Gallo, maybe if well, he's not, right. if maybe he sticks around for three four days, and maybe that's what they end up doing. They yeah. just they just end up swapping those two out, right? Something like that. Now Larnick is what four for sixteen, but two of those four are home runs. Yeah, <laughs> in his absence, it would feel right? kind of cruel. I'm not saying they can't do this, but it would feel a little cruel to send down Larnick for Kirilov, call him back up four games later for Kepler, watch him hit a couple of home runs. Do well versus the right-handed pitchers, but it turns out they run into their first streak of like consistent left-handed pitching. And then say to him, well, Kepler's back, so you're just right back to St. Paul again. Right. You know, that's not crazy or anything, but it doesn't seem great. Unfortunately, though, like you mentioned, Gordon had been seeing more and more action. In center field, because right. I think Michael Taylor's a little bit banged up, and they had kind of formed a little bit of a platoon out there with Gordon being the left-handed hitting right. portion of it. That's obviously out the window. Now, you could play Gallo some in center, like you mentioned, except now he's banged up. Yeah. And also, they just he hasn't started in center. Like, I don't know that they view him at this stage of his career. I think he's 30. He's lost a lot of speed. Like, right. I don't know that he's really viable That's, in center. Uh, Kepler great. is and has been somewhat viable in center. But has been but he so played there hesitant yeah. to play there uh, that his not playing center, I think, is more about his preference than the Twins' preference. And I don't mean playing center like he would have been the opening day center fielder instead of Michael Taylor. I just right. mean in a circumstance like this where if he comes off the IL Tuesday and Gordon is now out for a month or or more, you might say, well, could you start twice a week in center field, right. You know, kind of paired with Michael Taylor? And I think their view of Kepler is he just – isn't willing to do that right you know rightly or wrongly or whatever so that's part of what makes the roster a little tricky once kepler comes back because nobody none of those left-handed bats obviously larnick is not going to play center field so none of those left-handed bats can kind of fill that uh gordon role now willie castro can play some center field but that doesn't necessarily fix anything either because then you're still heavy on outfielders and the one guy who can play some third base, some shortstop, some second base is Willie Castro, right. except if you're using him in center field, 
then who's your backup infielder at that point? Because Gordon also kind of filled that in an emergency role and doesn't really fill I that. I wouldn't be shocked if Garlic is up for a few days right? and then Mark Contreras is called up. Yeah, uh, maybe. I mean, that, that feels to me like a, a natural fit there for Gordon in that you know he's a left-handed hitting guy who can play center field. You know, you've seen somewhat of, like you mentioned, somewhat of a platoon right now with Taylor and... Uh, Gordon, not in, not because they view it as a really good platoon opportunity, but because it feels like Taylor's they, – they're trying to keep Taylor healthy right. with his I, back. I mean, I do also think they were wanting to get Gordon some some right. consistent at-bats because his playing time yeah. had shrunk in the corners. Well, yeah, once, the, once Polanco got called up, right. well, once Polanco got called up, he couldn't really play second and base, which is where he'd been playing all the time. For that matter, he – Look, his overall numbers are still horrendous, Gordon, right. for the year because he got off to a you know four for fifty start or whatever. Right. But he had a couple of homers, he had some key moments, he had some good hits, yep. better at bats. So yeah, it removes that, and it seems like a good way to a good position to put Contreras into. I mean, not that you're trying to gear right. everything towards Mark Contreras, no, but, but stylistically, he fills Gordon's spot better than anyone else you would have in the organization in terms of center field yeah center field or the corners he's he's very good great arm can play center great in the corners has been playing center quite a bit in the same ball i think uh has power but a high strikeout guy but is you know played really well for a month and a half at in st paul yeah so i think Contreras. he's not on the 40-man roster but they can make room on the 40-man roster uh so yeah i could i could see that you know, obviously, it depends a little on Gallo and Polanco, yeah, too. Right, exactly. I mean, it's possible yeah. Gallo goes on the I.O. and they call up Contreras yeah. instead of Matt Walner. Yeah, that's, a, uh, that's, that's also yeah, a that's possibility. A really good, right, um, good point. Yep. Let's see. I had one other, uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, well, okay. So on the pitching side, they also swapped out Alcala, who went back on the I.L., for Jose de Leon, yep. who looked phenomenal. Through about five batters <laughs> against yeah, LA, right. including yeah. slicing up Mookie Betts, yeah. Freddie Freeman, yeah. and Will Smith, right. uh, then gave up back-to-back hits with two outs, right. and then that led to the forty-minute uh, Pagan a, discussion yeah, that we just had, yeah. which Pagan came in for him. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know how long. Whenever they call up a new last man in the bullpen, right. it's always unclear. Is this guy just up as a fresh arm, and as soon as he pitches, he's going to get sent back down? Or are they going to try to actually let him get a foothold here and maybe stick around for a little bit? I don't know exactly where Jose De Leon fits in that. I think he's intriguing enough from a you know track record standpoint, performance standpoint, and stuff standpoint to give him some opportunities. But he might just be you know the Cole Sands, Brent Hedrick, sure. Josh Winder, right. uh, fill in the blank, just kind of churn and burn through the the long relief. When they called him up, he wasn't on the forty man roster, right? No. Okay. Um, so yeah, he's he's someone to watch. Uh, the other two things. Let's see. I wanted to make sure I get hit one other thing. Sorry about this. Uh, I mean, we can talk about Correa. I feel like this is just a topic every week that we can do. It seems more and more with Correa. I'm not going to mention the word confidence, other than right there. Uh, but it seems more and more with Correa that he's taking strikes, and then. Swinging through fastballs late in counts, which there hasn't been a lot about his performance this season that has been encouraging. But I think this recent stretch is maybe to me the least encouraging or the most discouraging, which is that he just seems backward at the plate right now, which is 
they get ahead of him by throwing a couple strikes because right. he's trying to be patient. He's trying to work at bats. He's trying undoubtedly to get into some hitters' counts. And then whether he's in a hitter's count or it's 2-2, two, 1-2, two, two, whatever, then he just gets a fastball over the plate and just swings through right. it. Yeah. And, you know, he's been unlucky this year, but he hasn't been that unlucky this year. Like, he, he should be hitting – 235 not 195 right. that is unlucky right. but right. it would still we'd still be having a similar conversation if he had his expected numbers yep. uh, also but the discouraging part to me is there's been stretches where he's hitting for power and he actually has come through with some big home runs and he's driving the ball and he's pulling the ball but then that hasn't really been the case of late yeah. now we're splicing these six weeks into sections of 10 games so you're going to run into stretches for every player but like it's the swinging through fastballs part to me and the taking strikes part to me that in tandem is the most discouraging because that suggests to me either one of two things or maybe both one a hitter who's just lost at the plate right who's just backwards he's trying to do something and can't accomplish it and what ends up happening is he's just you know, on his heels the whole time, basically. He's at the mercy of the pitcher. And then two is when he is getting fastballs over the plate, which any player at Correa's level, you know, an all-star caliber, $200 million star player, they knock the hell out of fastballs and right. have every year and will every year if they're right. And so the fact that he is not hitting fastballs and not just not hitting them but swinging through them so often over the plate, you look at that and you go like, well, there's no luck involved in that. That's just worrisome to me. One of the reasons that I did not think Miranda would be sent down when Kyle Farmer was called up, why well, I thought they might opt for Willie Castro instead, right. was because I thought – I mean, Correa has played every game at shortstop this year except for the four-game stretch in which he was clearly had out a with, bad back. had a bad back. Yeah, the right? second week of April or something like that. He missed really four right. games. He missed yeah. four games, right? But ever since Farmer has been hurt, ever since Farmer got hurt, he's played every game at shortstop. Right. Everyone, right? And you know, last year there was a lot of talk early in the season about trying to keep Correa fresh by bringing him and resting him, arresting him, including like you get a complete day off. We're not going to ask you to right. pinch hit, even if it's the tenth inning when it's an obvious pinch hitting opportunity. Baldelli caught a shitload, a crap load of hit, of uh, of uh, heat for that, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and now instead, you know, because now maybe it's because he's trying to live up to the contract, or maybe it's because Farmer was out and he didn't think they had a great. Uh, other opportunity, other person to play shortstop or whatever else, whatever it's been, you know, he's been playing every day. And so when he was struggling two weeks ago, I was sort of like, yeah, I think it might be just because he's worn down a little bit. I don't know if it's mentally worn down or physically worn down, et cetera, right? And that's one of the reasons why I thought that they would keep Miranda up because that way you can have Farmer giving people a break, right? right. Now if anybody's getting a break, it's Willie Castro is giving people a yeah, break. I was surprised to right? see because they removed um, – Correa for a pinch runner right. in one of the L.A. games, right. which worked. Uh, Castro came around to score. Yes. And then when they needed to align defensively, it was Castro who stayed at shortstop, shortstop. and Farmer who, who played third, third base, surprised me too. which is interesting to me because, A, Willie Castro is not a good shortstop. Right. Uh, I've seen him enough with the Tigers to know that. Uh, and, B, Kyle Farmer was the red starting shortstop for the right. past two years yeah. or 80% of the past. And I, they initially traded for him I thought the same as their starting shortstop until they figured out what the Correa situation right. was. Obviously. Now, so yeah, it's a little, know, the Royce Lewis thing uh, yeah. coming up could, in fact, 
definitely it could in fact shuffle the deck a little bit I, more right? i 100 but, but that is still two weeks away right two weeks of him playing every day at shortstop again yeah i and agree i well, I, he's quality working his way through this my thing. assumption is that the reason lewis i mean he's clearly prepping to play third base for the twins but the reason that he's kind of alternating between third and short while on this rehab assignment, first with Wichita and now with St. Paul, is A, they feel like he's the most comfortable at shortstop, obviously. And right. so they want him to just kind of get his feet under him, literally and figuratively, and get reps and be comfortable and feel like you know he's back in the mix in a familiar territory sure. as a player. But I also think B... They've not given up on him being a major league caliber shortstop. They've probably roughly given up on him being a major league starting shortstop because of Correa's presence. But I do think in their kind of idealized roster situation, maybe not this year, but next year and beyond, he would be the backup shortstop. He might be the starting third baseman or the starting second baseman, but also the backup shortstop. And I think having that would be good that you could give Correa a day off or a day at DH or a partial day off where he pinch hits, and you have Royce Lewis at shortstop, which is a big difference from you know Nick Gordon or Willie Castro or even Kyle Farmer at right. this point yes. at shortstop. Yep. But yeah, part of me wonders, you know, because you, I mean, people have seen Correa in the dugout; they showed on TV. He's wearing a, a heat pad on his back, right, between innings and all right. that. Um, I, I think. <laughs> To your point is, you know, is he playing through it because they feel like the backup options are not good? Is he trying to just live up to the contract? All of that could be true. I also just think he's trying to, like, fight through this. Right. And I think in his mind, he rightly or wrongly, he feels like a day off in helping anything. Right. I need hits. I need at-bats. I need to start playing. That might be too. He might Um, be grinding a little much. Right. I think that's... Hey, I Probably. Mean, and to be fair, he's also like he's such an asset defensively. He has played well defensively. Yeah, I mean, so we can we keep dwelling on his hitting, and you know, his hitting has absolutely been a liability, especially at the top of the top of the lineup there, where he's yeah. you know consistently better than the number two spot or whatever. Uh, but I still feel so much more comfortable with him at shortstop than I do with anybody else on this roster. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, Farmer is an okay shortstop, but I think, you know, you can see him playing third. Right. He's got a good arm, but he doesn't have a great arm. He's got some range, but he's more of a shorthanded right. uh, option at shortstop. But, um, okay, a couple other things, and we'll be, uh, we'll be done. The Twins have finally started to do a little running. Yes. They had one steal in their first 22 games. I believe now they have either 15 or 16 steals in the last 22 games yeah. uh, at a pretty good rate. Now, most of that is just Michael Taylor continuing to run and Byron Buxton deciding now to run. Are the Dodgers catchers known to be not particularly good at stopping stolen bases? I don't bases? think so. I mean, it definitely looked like that was a f- focus right. for them in uh, in this three-game series. Well, yeah, I mean, it was the first time Buxton stole two games, right. two bases in a game yeah. since like 2018. We now, health is Buxton is back. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that's on your notes, but good lord, yeah, he's, he's been back on a tear. This he's last been, that's the games. other thing. Like so many, he hits a game tying home run at Dodger Stadium, and nobody even cares. Like we didn't even mention it <laughs> yeah, until yeah, now because yeah, yeah. of right. the Pagan meltdown and everything. Seems to happen a lot with uh, with that. But yeah, I mean, I think they. I don't know that it's like a concerted effort to run more, more so than Buxton is more able and willing to run in May than he was in April. And so he's yeah, got maybe. four he's four maybe. for four maybe. on steals. Yeah, maybe. And Taylor's six for six on steals. Yep. And Castro is like, I don't know, five for 
eight or yeah. something like that. Castro's trying to figure out some way to be a value right. for this roster, right? And yeah, gets right. pinched. Yeah. He comes yeah. in as a pinch runner and all that. No one else is stealing bases, so it's really yeah. just those three. So I'm hesitant to be like, well, now they figured out they got to do some running. It's like, no, the three guys who can run right. are at least running, yeah. right. which is really all people were kind of asking for coming into the season, yeah. which is right. the guys that can run have them run. Now, the other guys who can run theoretically are like Kepler, who's on the IL, right. and Polanco, who yeah, I don't think you want him using his legs for anything beyond well, what he, he needs to. He did try and steal some bases recently. Yeah. He, uh, I'm trying to remember when, Even but. before this hamstring, he's not been bad defensively, and he's hitting fine, obviously, yeah, right. overall. But he looks very like almost wobbly defensively to me. Like even somewhat normal like choppers that he's fielding, he's fielding like off to the side huh. or he's like scooping them up on the run. Like he just doesn't seem like his base. Doesn't uh, seem this to be could be smooth. reading into something that isn't there. But it, it seems like his legs or his base are not uh, – he's not comfortable with it. He's making pretty much all the plays. But now I wonder, you toss in a hamstring problem in addition to ankle and, and knees and everything else. Right. That, I don't know, it's, those legs are uh, – like they, there was some quote I saw that uh, back in the day, probably Royce here, somebody wrote that uh, Tony Oliva was a, a 30-year-old superstar with uh, 90-year-old knees. <laughs> right, and yeah, that's right, kind of how yeah. I feel like watching, watching Polanco. Uh, and we'll also mention Royce Lewis is going to be back here hopefully at some point that he could – be adding to the uh, to the stolen base totals yes. as well. I mean, I just Julian like, too, for that matter. Right, by the way, yeah, Julian yeah. has stolen 15, 20 bases each of the last couple of years. I think he has yeah. three or four at St. Paul. I don't. I don't need this whole team to be uh, the piranhas, right? I just right. want enough. I just want to be able to show that weapon a little bit, especially when the rest of your weapon, the weapons you might have in your toolkit, are a little bit more limited. Like I want Taylor to be able to steal bases yeah. because Taylor. You know, he can hit some home runs, right? But he's not going to hit for a high average. He's not going to get on base a lot. When he's on base, I want him to do things. I want him to be able to bunt well, which he's been he's had a lot of success with. Like, Here's how I view stolen bases, which is if anybody's been listening to the show for the last 10 years or reading my writing for 20 years, I don't really care about stolen bases. And I think baseball has sort of reached that conclusion about 10 years ago also, which is why prior to the rules changes this year, stolen bases went down every year. They plummeted over the course of 10 right. years. Because teams realized that the risk of an out is not worth the advantage of moving up from first base to second base in a lot of situations. Because the more homers that are being hit, the less valuable right. moving up one base is and – you know, to make it work in this environment, you got to be 75, 80% successful. Now, that has changed a little bit because they've made it easier slightly to steal bases. And the percentage, I think, is up 4% or something like that from, se you know, 74 to 78, roughly. So that should motivate teams to, in more borderline cases, you know, 51% instead of 49% in the coin flip to, okay, let's run here. But the way I view it is, yeah, I agree with you. I don't need to see them going nuts on steals. Um, and in fact, with Buxton, he's the, the most accurate base stealer of all time. He's at 90% for his career, literally the highest ever right. uh, in baseball history. And yet every time he steals, I just go, was that worth it? Right. Was yeah. that worth yeah. the 5% chance that he's going to ding his hand on the base or you know smack his knee into the ground or whatever? But here's how I view steals in general, which is I have no problem with a team – particularly one where they only have like three guys who can run, like we just talked about, not running much. I have no problem with a team ranking dead last in stolen base attempts for the year. But you need to have it, like you said, as a weapon <laughs> yeah. in your toolbox. When you need it, you need it. Right. And I, <laughs> right. here's yeah. how I view right. it. 
as a big NBA fan, which is over the last 10 or 20 years, mid-range jumpers, mid-range two-pointers right. have completely vanished from the NBA for the same reason that stolen bases vanished from Major League Baseball, which is people did the math on it finally right, yeah. at strategically and said, why would we shoot an 18-foot shot that we make you know, 40% of the time, and when we make it, it's worth two points, when we could step back three feet, right. shoot it 37%, yeah. and have it be worth three points. Right. So if you look at the NBA shot chart as a league, like the heat maps or whatever, which you can get, it's so funny to watch it where it used to be just sort of evenly distributed <laughs> right. all around. There were spots. Now it's all moved towards the basket and right, over the three-point line. Directly <laughs> yeah, in front right. of the basket in the yeah, lane because right. those dunks and layups are 70% right. shots, that, even at two points each, right. and three-pointers, obviously. Yeah. But I think that you saw it with like really extreme teams like the Rockets five or eight years ago with James Harden where they were only layups and three-pointers. And then it became playoff time, and a defense just said, well, shit, we only have to guard 35% of this court. Right. All yeah, we have right. to do is guard the three-point line in the lane, right. and we let them dribble around the free-throw line all they want. And so I think you've seen more and more teams, some teams like the Suns do this, Spurs do this, where it's not that you're going to go with this heavy onslaught of uh, free-throw line extended jumpers because it's still – not right. the the most efficient shot to take, but it's that you need to at least attempt enough of them so that the defense has to actually guard that area of the court so that it opens up other areas. And that's exactly or how when I it view. Gets to a real clutch time, you well, end right. up, you, you, you can't be, always you, get a layup or a three. Right, that's right. But sometimes you can get a free throw line extended right. seventeen footer or that's something right. like that. And that's exactly how I use stolen base view stolen bases, which yeah. is a, anybody who's analogy. got any brain yep. attached to them and can work a calculator can tell you that the math on it is no longer as good and was never really as good as people wanted to believe. Right. It's an exciting play, don't get me wrong. I love to sure. watch stolen bases. Yeah. But just from a run scoring versus out standpoint. But if you never attempt to steal, it allows the pitcher to stop looking over or throwing yes. over. It allows the catcher to throw to call for different pitches. They can call a breaking ball on certain right. counts because they're not afraid of having to throw out the runner. And so and when you get into a spot like the Twins where your offense is stalled for multiple games in a row correct and where one run becomes impossible to score the ability to move up one base and to get a guy in scoring position on a single it has increased value the lower the run environment the more valuable it is to steal bases so that's kind of how i view it and so i view you know taylor and buxton and willie castro and whoever else if lewis wants to join that mix as like taking a handful of two point uh, you know, 18-footers a game, not because you think it's some brilliant shot, but because there are some possessions in a basketball game where that's going to be your best option. Baldelli talked in spring training how he wanted to have a team that did more of that than just sort of the 2019 sort of swing right. and go stuff. And I had not seen it much up until basically this road trip. Yeah. Right? Versus the Dodgers, I started to see this is the kind of ball that Baldelli would like this team to be capable of playing baseball this way, right? Not necessarily play the. You know, generally, it's still going to be. You know, let's let's. But when I want to play that way, stuff, but when we got to be able to do way, it, right? right. And, and that feels like the sort of thing that you want to have when you get to a post. If you're going to be in a postseason, well, match, that's true you know? too, right? Yeah. When runs become more scarce that's than right. ever. Yeah. Uh, it is also funny that Baldelli, when you're facing Kershaw, right? You know, <laughs> right. Baldelli as a player, all he did was run. Right. He was just pure athleticism and stealing bases, not even at a good clip, and 
trying to take second on any single and trying to go first to third on any ball right. in the outfield. Like I remember watching him as a player with the Devil Rays. That's how long right. ago yeah. it was. And he was just contact skills, line drives, and a guy who could just run. Yep. And it is funny now. He's kind of Dan Gladney. <laughs> yeah, he was better than Dan Gladney. But yes, right. Right. just but that pure kind of, aggression. Right. Yeah. Just and I, I I've asked him about this. Because he was essentially because of health problems, essentially done at like twenty five as right. a player, I've said to him, like, you know, when I used to write about you as a prospect, the big criticism was no play discipline, swings at everything, kind of the Eddie Rosario right. Yeah, right, right. Uh, approach. And knowing him now, it's a, it's interesting to try to think that's the same person with right. the same brain. But his point was Oh, I didn't know any better. Like I'm a, <laughs> right. some kid from right. Rhode Island didn't play high level high school baseball. I showed up. I was 21 in the majors. They threw me strikes. I hit them. Like what? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I would. Yeah. I've said to him before. Like, do you think if you would have had a clean bill of health and you would have had a normal dozen year career, let's say into right. your 30s, at 26, 27, 28, kind of like we're seeing Buxton do now, would you have eventually become a guy who tightens up that strikeout to walk ratio? And he told me one time, yeah, maybe, except by that point I wouldn't be fast anymore and who would need me? <laughs> maybe, thought, maybe. That's an interesting uh, thought because he had a which line you, drive which, approach. Which you, should, which you should ask him is, if you had to give yourself a player comp. Yeah, Eddie Rosario, <laughs> right-handed Eddie Rosario. <laughs> give, me a, give me a player comp for uh, Rocco Baldelli yeah. if, he, if he's uh, stuck I mean, around here's 25. The, the crazy, he loves those questions. <laughs> here's the crazy thing. If you had to – Comp Rocco Baldelli to like five players in baseball history. Uh-huh. Byron Buxton would one hundred percent be one of them, in terms of oh, speed maybe. and lack of plate discipline and power potential at a young age yeah. and injuries. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and center field, by the way. Yeah. You go back and look at some of these articles that were written about like a twenty-one-year-old Rocco Baldelli, and they're talking about like Mickey Mantle and Joe DiMaggio and, and all that stuff. And so it's funny that he's now the manager of the team that we're sitting here going. Well, yeah, maybe they should attempt one stolen base every series. And we're like, yeah, that'd be good if, the, if, if he did it. Okay. Um, let's part on this. I posted this a few weeks ago, and I'd like to update it, which is the win probability added ranks. Here we go. By by area of the team. Okay. And this is we'll end it on. Uh, starting pitching, number one in baseball. Their rotation has been the best in all of baseball in terms of win probability added. They're also number one in innings, number two in ERA, right. you know, all that stuff. Right. It makes number one in strikeouts, I think. Uh, the bullpen, even after this implosion by Emilio Pagan, 16th out of 30. That seems about right to me. Huh. Average-ish I would, I overall. would have thought higher than that. You mean better than that? Yeah. Like 10th? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. might have been before. Might have been, it might have been before they lost before a full two games ago. Full 60, or two days ago. 62 points it, or I mean, I, honestly, right. it probably was. Yeah, it might have been. 10th yeah. or 12th. I, w- I would have probably put it top 10. But I, sure. I do think, in general, those two things match. Starting pitching has been phenomenal. Right. It's number one in baseball. Yeah. The bullpen seems to me to be average-ish, yeah. um, which it's average, 16th yeah. in baseball. The lineup, 28th out of 30. Mm. And so wow, that's weird. we spend all this time – uh, breaking down individual players and components and decisions and lineup spots and bullpen packing orders. And at the end, we're uh, 45 games into a 162-game season. And I can tell you by at least one metric, they're the best rotation. Yeah. They're a dead average bullpen, and they're one of the worst lineups. And you hear all three of those things, to me at least, and you go, that's about right. Yeah, that's a worse lineup than I would have put them at. Um, but one thing win probability does is when you score context. 16 runs yep, against the Dodgers, yep. 
uh, exactly it right. stops you at about six because yeah. no, right. seven through 16 didn't affect, mean affect winning basically. Yep. No, you're right. And they've had so many games with zero, one or two uh, that, yeah, that, that seems right to me. And it is funny that you can just look at one stat and you can go great rotation, mediocre bullpen, yeah. bad lineup. That's interesting. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. Now, where would I expect those to be three months from now? Realistically? I mean, I think the the rotation has a real chance to remain in the top five, certainly. Oh, I think so, too. I think the bullpen right. can be better, but I, I don't think it's assured it's not, it's of not being trending better. up. Right. It's trending down. And I think, look, if the lineup is still 28th at the end of the season, things have gone very bad for them. I think, you know, an average-ish lineup, that's a big hole to dig out yeah. of. So it might end up 20th instead of 16th or whatever. But I think an average-ish lineup should be doable for them. But Yeah, the, what's surprises me about that WPA, and I don't want to dive too deep into it, though, is that it, what surprised me and doesn't surprise me about it, I guess, is we've talked a little bit about, even in the offseason when they signed Gallo, you were like, you know, Gallo was a real valuable player, and then you took a look at his WPA, and you're like, never particularly good though WPA, and we've spent, I think, one of the Patreons a week and a half ago talking a little bit about, does this team underperform in the context of games, given how many runs they score, or given you know, sort of their overall OPS and such, right. and is that part of the design of the team? You know, is that not about luck and not hitting with runners in scoring position, which has absolutely been a problem? Like that, you know. I, well, what, no, bases loaded. No, so the bases loaded. Runners right, in scoring position, right. they've been great, right. which is no, doubly right. weird. You're right. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Right. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Gallo, by the way, has a good WPA. Yeah, yeah, well, right. He right does. now, yes, absolutely right. He's yes, absolutely. Third on the team, well, maybe. Yeah, he, well, Solidly he's positive. Not out of the ball everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Uh, okay, um, that's it. We will be back Monday morning. Yeah, Patreon for only for the Patreon listeners. Commercial free, over an hour. We'll talk about the Angels about series. Trout and Otani. We'll probably and, have yep. some uh, injury updates, obviously, and yes. we'll set the stage for the homestand. Then after that, that'll be available to Patreon subscribers. P a t r e o n patreon.com slash Gleeman. You should join us. We'd love to have you join us. We've uh, Wednesday, we're not sure exactly what we're going to do for that one. It might be another special guest, depending on who's might in town. Mailbag, might do. be a guest. Might be a mailbag. Right? Might um, be a split. Might have some news to talk about. Yeah. So yeah, join the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Gleeman. Thank you to Sunday. See. Sunday. And Harry's. And Game Time. And my bookie. Yeah. Thank yeah. you to all of them, too. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you Monday morning for the all Patreon. Gleeman. So.